Let's head out to Children's Church at this time. That's a crew. All right, well, today we're going to finish out um, the discussion, the lesson on faith that we have been doing this past month. And we've been defining what faith is, that faith is, is something similar but almost completely different than what we've perceived of it in the past in that faith is, uh, it isn't merely belief and it isn't merely trust. It is something uh, that looks like those things, but is something entirely different. So that first week, three weeks ago, we defined faith as this. We defined faith that it is the alignment of purpose, the reliance that is found in exchange, and the melding that is found in, in covenant, that it is this, it is this aligning relying and melding. It is these three things that when they come together, that is what makes faith. The absence of any one of these three things changes it from faith into uh, something that is quite dead. Each of these three things rely on each other, can only exist in the presence of each other, and so it is the convergence of these three that is where we find this thing called faith. So we looked into each one of these things. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the first, the alignment aspect. We talked about how it is God that initiates faith in us, that Jesus said we cannot come to him unless he first calls us. We are told that we cannot believe unless we have heard. We cannot hear unless someone is sent. And so it requires that God sends the message first before we can even begin to receive it. We talked about how uh, Christ did this as he went along with his disciples. He looked at them and he said, follow me, and there is an invitation. Though God initiates faith in us, it is the seed that he plants, the seed of the word that Jesus uses a, well, a, a lot of times in his um, uh, parables. It is the seed that is planted, and it either takes root or it doesn't, and we either offer ourselves or we do not. And so we have that opportunity. We offer up ourselves. We come into step with him that being what alignment is, being in step, thinking like, uh, adjusting ourselves to him. And then ultimately we allow God to transform our thinking. We are to cease to think the way the world thinks. See, when we are born, our minds are clear and fresh, but the world shapes it to think a certain way just, by, just simply by our existence. And so we allow now God to transform the way we think so that we see the world differently. We see sin differently. We see uh, money and power and family and all of these things very, very differently. But then last week we went into the reliance aspect because it, it, faith cannot be merely an intellectual endeavor, something that we enter into and we think about. Oh, I, I believe in Jesus and that's fantastic. It actually has to move into that trust realm where we are now going to act based on those things that we know to believe. We come in alignment with him. He says, follow me, we follow him, and we begin to now rely on him to provide and take care of us and to lead us, to give us everything that we need. And so in last week, there were two things we talked about. The first one, the most common one that most of us are aware of, and that is, is that you can rely on God. But the second one is the one that I wanted to, to focus on last week, which was the fact that God is relying on you. 
The scriptures tell us in Corinthians that it is required of a steward that a steward be found faithful. Meaning that what God has entrusted to you, it is required that you be found faithful. God, when he, he's gifted you this eternal life, he's gifted you his Holy Spirit, when he's placed this in you, he has not done so for no reason. And hopefully you on the back of your sheet uh, took advantage of the studies, the midweek studies, uh, scriptures and meditations that you could look at because one of them was on the story of the, the parable of the, of the talents where the master comes along and gives one he gives one of his servants uh, five talents, and, and the word talents means money, but it actually does apply to any gift that God gives. Uh, he gives five to one he gives two to one he gives one. The one with five goes out, turns it into five more, brings back ten. When the master returns, the one with two goes out, brings back another two, brings back four total. The one who had one left came back and had exactly one. The one that he was given is the one that he returned. For most of us, we would, from a human perspective, we would probably look and say all three of those were faithful. They were good stewards. The one with one returned the one. The one with two had two more. The one with five. But that isn't the way Jesus tells a story. He looks and he says uh, to the one who brought back five, good and faithful servant. To the one who brought back two, uh, brought back four. He had taken two, brought two more back. He said, good and faithful servant. To the one he gave one, And he brought back the one, he says, you wicked, lazy servant. And we see that basically what that story is, is that what God has entrusted you to do, he's given you this trust for a reason. God is looking for, he always has been, looking for a relationship where it is mutual reliance. Hey, I'm going to flood. Noah, you need to make an ark. So Noah makes an ark. Hey, Moses, I'm going to part the sea. You need to raise your hand. So Moses raises his hands. Hey, David, I'm going to take down Goliath. I need you to, I need you to put a, a, a stone in a sling and, and toss it at him. All of those things are so minimal. And yet, God invited his people to be a part of what it was that he was doing. So that was what we talked about. So now we're moving into the last aspect this week and summing this all up, and that is we are talking about the melding. The melding that comes in covenant. There is a difference between contract and covenant. A contract is for a specified period of time. Um, I go in and I get a mortgage from my bank and, and they give me money and I agree to pay them back over 30, 30 years. And at the end of the 30 years, the contract is completed, is fulfilled, and we are done with each other. A covenant is not like that. A covenant is a commitment that is made for an unspecified time. It is, it is ongoing. In our life, there really is, outside of religion, there's only one covenant that we ever enter into now. And that's the covenant of marriage. And we recognize in that covenant that two people become one thing. And that's really what we're talking about in this concept of melding. Melding, uh, faith, is the melding of two things into one so that they become something new. Something new comes to be. We have lots of words for this, lots of words. And as I mentioned before, melding is the one that I think my wife liked the least. But, um, and maybe that's why I, I went for it. But melding, 
There's, you got melding, you have, you have welding, which is taking two things and, and, and merging them together. Uh, you have diffusion, where two things uh, uh, inundate one another. You have uh, synthesis, which is usually a chemical process that two things become a third thing. They become something different through a process. Lots of words that mean the same thing. Um, the example I gave uh, two, three weeks ago was of dye being dropped in water, and I wanted to put that up on the screen, let you just kind of picture that in your head for just a moment. A glass of clear water, a drop of red dye being dropped into that water, and what you watch is a slow process by which the red begins to spread out. It begins to inundate and take over the clear water. If you were to walk away and come back the next day, you would not see clear and red. You would see merely a pinkish hue. That which was this bright red, that which was this trans, translucent clear liquid now has become something different, a, a, a pink liquid. The interesting thing about that is if I took a glass of, uh, of water that had red dye in it and it had fully diffused, it had fully gone throughout the water, completely inundated it, and I took an empty glass, and I take this glass, how would I ever, how would I ever pour the red out of it? Could I do it? No. How do I separate it? Can I cut it with a knife, and the red will appear on one side, the clear on the other? No. It has become something different. Jesus uses some different examples of this. Uh, James James, Jesus' brother, talks about fresh water and salt water. Okay? Fresh water is water that has no salt in it. It's clean. It's what we drink. It's what we survive on. It's why you can't drink ocean water and live. But the moment you put any salt into it, what happens to that water? Does the salt just stay on the top? No. It diffuses throughout and it changes. It is no longer fresh water. It is now salt. Jesus says it this way in Luke chapter 13. In Luke chapter 13, verses 20 to 21, it says, And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leaven. What is he saying? He's saying that the word of God, the kingdom of heaven, it is like leaven, yeast, and this woman had a small bit of yeast, and she has dough over here. She takes this little bit of yeast, and it says she hides it in the yeast. But what is the end result? Once that yeast is introduced, the yeast spreads its way throughout the entirety of the dough. You break off any piece. You will not have any unleavened dough. It will be inundated with that yeast so he says the kingdom of God is like that that once it is planted inside of you it moves and it consumes you it changes you you were unleavened before but now you are leaven you may have been fresh water before but now you are salt water you may have been clear water and the blood of Jesus stripped inside of you and now you are tainted consumed by the blood. You and I, we are not 
supposed to be the same. Faith is a merging of ourself with God so that we change and transform. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you come to accept Jesus as your Lord, when you come, that's why, that's why we, you know, everywhere in Acts, you have the example of when people come to faith in Christ, every example, they repented, they confessed, and they were baptized, they died in Him. There's a reason that that symbolism is so connected in there, because in faith, you die. You cease to be that which was, and now you become something different. We lay down our life. We say, I no longer want to reign or rule in this body. And he takes us and allows us to pay the penalty of our sin. We die. He inserts, like we talked about last week, right? The original word faith meant guarantee. It was a guarantee and a promise. He places inside of us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee as the faith, and we come alive. A new creature, a new creation. Now, does that mean that we as Christians cannot decide that we are going to continue to live in sin and continue to live the way we used to? Well, absolutely we can. And people do it all the time. But those people, when I have done that, when you have done that, you know that the faith is miserable. Because we are not that. We are something new. I am a different creature after the Holy Spirit was placed in me than I was before. Because God has merged himself into me. Outside of God, the, the world only understands covenant, uh, this, this concept within the concept of marriage, this concept of faith. We've talked about that each week a little bit more. There really isn't any place in life where we consider ourselves to merge with another person other than marriage. We recognize that it is in marriage we cease to be what we were. That's why, that's why uh, men who love being bachelors, they have their bachelor party, and it's almost seen like a funeral. And they talk about marriage as if it's the, it's the death of one, and they're right. It's a good death. But in marriage, you cease to be who you were. And you become something different. Christ says, right? He says that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, will cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They will come together. And what he's saying there is that it's not merely, it isn't just merely uh, uh, sexual relations, that it's two bodies that just happen to be commingling in space. What he's saying is, is that you honestly, truthfully, and literally become something different. I've almost been married 22 years now, coming up on 22 years. I've done the math so I wouldn't get in trouble this morning. 
almost 22 years, and I'm going to tell you, I am not the man that she married. And she's happy about that. I'm not saying she didn't love me when we got married, but I'm, I'm not the same man. I have merged with her in a way that I am a different person than I was. And 20 years from now, God willing, if we're still married, I'm going to be more like her than I am today. We will be closer and more merged than now. And that's what we want in marriage. So God throughout the entire scriptures refers to his relationship with his people in these terms. Going back into the garden, you look and Adam and Eve, they, they, here they were. They, God created this garden and they're there and, and they have faith with each other. They're merged, husband and wife, okay? He, he wanted them to be together. They were one, but there's more than that. They, they, God was with them. He walked with them. They were spiritually alive. They didn't die, not because, not because we have some secret programming in our brain that doesn't allow us to die, and if we could only access it. No. They were alive because of the Holy Spirit was present with them. They were merged with God in the garden. They were one with him. They got to experience what we have longed to experience. They not only had it with each other, but they had it with the Father. Then sin comes into the world. They wanted something different. And when sin came into the world, that bond with God was broken. I want you to hear this. When you hear Jesus say these words, he says, therefore, he's talking about marriage, right? Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. When we're married, it's like the, 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 the two dyes coming together. And divorce is not evaporating out the husband till the dyes left. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's literally just splitting it up. It's, it's tearing apart something. Uh, you lose part of yourself when that happens. Now you're just half of what you were. You carry the other person with you. It's a, it, 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 that's, the, that's the symbolism of it. When something is merged, it doesn't come apart. It only gets split. When Jesus is saying that, I want, I want you to understand, when he's saying what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. And I like that word better than separate. The old versions say tear asunder because that's what it is. You're ripping a part of yourself apart. He is referring not only to a husband and wife who's having trouble and facing divorce. He is also talking about, a, about what happened in the garden. God had created Adam and Eve to be together, and he walked amongst them. And in their sin, we were torn from him. Man tore man from God. And we carry parts of him. Every living human being carries parts in them. We long to be back with God, even though people who don't recognize God, they don't realize that their desires, their base wants is still to be connected. They're missing it. But when sin came into the world, we find that God and us, that marital relationship was broken. 
2 Corinthians 6.14 tells us that light and darkness cannot have fellowship. Righteousness and lawlessness cannot have partnership. When we became unrighteous, when we became unlawless, we broke the faith. And we ripped ourselves from God. And the rest of the Bible is God attempting to reestablish faith with us. So he calls for himself a people, a nation, and he makes a covenant with them, an everlasting covenant. You, and this is why he constantly says, you are my people and I will be your God. That's the arrangement. I am yours, you are mine. We belong to each other. We are one. And that was his desire from the beginning. And when they worshiped other gods, he called them unfaithful. He has always sought to be one with his creation, with us. We were made in his image to be with him, to be one with him, to be merged with him. And we couldn't do it. Romans tells us there was not one righteous. No, not one. Because of the sin that was in us, God could not be merged with any of us. So he fixed it. He fixed it. What we could not do on our own. And this is the gospel message, people. This is the foundation of it. God sent his son into the form of a man, emptied of what it meant to be, emptied of all of the power and authority of God, yet retaining his entirety, the entirety of God at the same time, born into flesh into this world. Jesus is the full and complete merging of God and man. Sinless. And so Jesus, Jesus we find, let's put this, let's put this up on the screen. Jesus becomes and Jesus is our faith. He is the faith. Not my belief, not my actions. I am broken and I am sinful. Every single one of us are. There is nothing we can do to come to the Father except there is one man who was fully faithful, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the faith. He is the faith. Let's walk through this. Was Jesus perfectly aligned with God? Well, John 6, John 6 verse 38. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Was Jesus aligned with the Father? He said, I'm not here to do anything that I want to do. I'm going to do what he wants me to. That's it. Was Jesus reliant upon the Father? John 5, verse 19 says this, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son 
does likewise. Jesus only did what the Father empowered him to do. When he healed, he healed by the power of the Father. When he taught, he taught the words that the Father gave him. Everything he did was in full reliance on his Father. Well, let me ask this. Was God able to rely upon Jesus? Was he able finally to fully rely upon a man to do what was required? Philippians 2, 8 says this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Paul says he was the only man that never ever once failed the Father. He was obedient to death, from birth to death, including death on a cross. And there's no place that that is better exemplified than when he is in the garden and he is on his knees and he is so stressed out and he can hardly take what is happening. He is bleeding. The capillaries underneath his skin are bursting and blood is coming out with the sweat as he is sitting there contemplating and facing what is coming up the next day. And he begs his father. He says, Father, take this cup from me. If there's any other way, take it from me. I don't want to do this. Yet, yet, Not my will, but yours be done. And in that moment we see the absolute culmination of faith. A son who says, I want to do what you want me to. I'm trusting what you have called me to do. In this moment, what we find is that Jesus is the only man to be merged with the Father. Was he one? John 10, verse 30. Jesus says very plainly, I and the Father are one. Jesus alone kept faith with God. Jesus and Jesus alone kept faith with God. No man or woman before, no man or woman since has been able to do it. He was the only one who was fully aligned, who was fully reliant, and who was fully merged with the Father because he came from the Father. That's why the scriptures say this, Hebrews 12 1 through 2 says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Faith was, the faith that you and I have was created by Him, perfected by Him, but offered. To us. And so here we come to this moment, into this culmination of our understanding of faith. It is not merely trust, it is not merely reliance, because here's, here's the real problem. 
I cannot be fully aligned, I cannot be fully reliant or fully merged on the Father, or Jesus wouldn't have had to come in the first place. I cannot do it. I'm going to do it. Your, Your faith cannot save you. Because your faith is not enough. It's not enough. There is only one faith that has fully met the righteous requirements of God, and that is the faith of Jesus Christ. You know what's interesting? This is funny. Not funny. It's kind of sad. You go to the RSV, you go to the KJV, you go to old translations of the Bible, and whenever your new, our newer versions say uh, faith in Christ, that's not what they've said. All the old versions say the faith of Christ. You were saved by the faith of Christ. Not faith in Christ. You were saved by the faith of Christ. The only faith that saves is the faith that he had. The reliance on the Father, the alignment with the Father, and the merger with the Father that he had. That is why under heaven there is no name by which we may be saved other than Jesus. My belief, my trust is futile. The only thing that redeems is what he did and he alone. And so now we, the only thing that we have now is a new faith. We place our faith in Jesus. We come to him. He's the only one. He's the only one that has ever pleased the Father. He is the only one who has ever fully done it. He's the only one who has kept faith with God. And so we come to him. We align ourselves with him. We rely upon him. Will any one of you stand before God when you stand at the judgment and say, I deserve to go in because of anything you did? That would be a foolish thing to ever say. When you stand before God and God asks, why should you be allowed into my kingdom? There is only one answer. Because I belong to Jesus. That's it. His faith. We rely completely on him. And now, by accepting him, We merge ourselves with him. We become one with him. And so all of the New Testament is Paul telling us that we leave the old self behind, the old creature. We become a new one by uniting ourselves, not with any other name. We're not even called to unite our... He doesn't even say, come and unite yourself with the Father. Come and unite yourself with the Son because it is the Son is the only one who's united to the Father. Are you following me here? It is Christ and Christ alone who gets to go to the Father. It is Christ and Christ alone that gets to stand and be proclaimed righteous at the judgment. And the question is for us, do we belong to Him or not? 
what we see is that the faith of Jesus becomes our faith. God places in us the faith of Jesus. He places in us the righteousness of Jesus. He places in us the holiness of Jesus. He places in us the spirit of Jesus. He places in us the ministry of Jesus. Do you get the theme here of what faith is? The faith for us, it's not striving and trying and being better. All we are called to do is to come alongside of Jesus, align ourselves with Jesus, rely only on Jesus, and merge ourselves with Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, 17, Paul says this, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. When you become one with Christ, you become one with the Father. It can happen no other way because only Christ has become one with the Father. You cannot. There is no way to the Father except Him. That's why the Scriptures say that over and over. It does not matter how good, how righteous, how holy, how generous, how obedient we are. But I want to end with this. I, that we can't So we are called to merge with Christ. And it is in that merger with Christ that we are allowed to come and be one with the Father. Only that way. It is faith in Jesus that gives us the faith of Jesus, which allows us to be acceptable in the eyes of God. Did you follow that? Only faith in Jesus gives us the faith of Jesus, his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection. We are one with him so that when God looks at us, who does he see? Jesus. Colossians, we are told that when we are baptized into Christ, we are clothed with him. We look like him. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that as Christ enters into heaven, he walks as one who is carrying captives in his train. And I love that imagery of the train because a king, the only train we have now is in the wedding, right? Is in a wedding when the bride has the big old long train that hangs out behind her and then everybody, you know, we got to make sure she doesn't trip on it and stuff. That's basically the purpose of a train. And but with a, a king used to have a train. The imagery there in Ephesians is this, is that, is that as Christ enters into heaven with his kingly robes on, he is the righteous one, proclaimed the good one. He's the only one that can walk through the gates of heaven. But that train covers us so that we walk into heaven because we are covered by the Son. When God sees, 
sees us, he only sees his son. The faith of Jesus. But the last point is this, listen. Faith is not just this. It is also this. Just as it was in the garden, God, man, and woman. So now it is God, you, and the body of Christ. There is no faith. There is no union, there is no becoming one with the Father or with Christ without union with each other. If you are the body of Christ, my rejection of you is the rejection of Christ. My union with you is union with Christ. If I'm growing closer to Christ, I am by nature growing closer to you. If you are growing closer to Christ and I'm growing closer to you, then I by nature am growing closer to Jesus. They, they go hand in hand. It's the cord of three strands. And it has always been this way. Jesus, right before he leaves, last passage, I want you to read this with me. Luke 17. 6 to 21. Jesus, you, you, can, you can almost hear the ecstasy in his voice, the, the, the spiritual emphatic nature of what he's saying. He's getting ready to leave, and this is his prayer to God. Father, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Father, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one while I was with them I kept them in your name which you have given me I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that scripture might be fulfilled but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have joy my joy fulfilled in themselves I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask, Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me.
Father, I want them to be one as we are one. So that they can be in us. Do you see the order there? Father, teach my people to be aligned in purpose, reliant upon each other, to be merging their lives with one another so that they may, so that we can be one as God is one, and in doing so, we may become one as a body with Him. There is no faith in God without us placing faith in each other. Because we are the body of Christ. That's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? God, let them be one as as you and I are one. Let them be one with us. Because in the end, this whole thing, this thing that we call faith, it is about being one. One together, one with Him, whole and complete the way it was supposed to be. Like marriage, faith is a journey. It's prayer for us to be one is because it's something that we've got to, we're growing into. Church, I, I want you to realize that we are called to faith. To not only align ourselves with God, but to be aligning with those in this room, in this place. That we are to be relying not only on the Father, but on each other. Will we fail each other sometimes? Yes. Even though we failed, does the Father entrust us? Yes. If the Father can trust you, I can trust you. And we're supposed to be one. There's only one body, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, one Lord. There's only one. And it all begins with two words. Jesus speaking out into the darkness, follow me. Let's stand. We're going to sing our song of invitation. If you hear that voice calling to you this morning, Take that first step of faith, that first step of becoming one with the only Savior, the only one who can take us to the Father.